You don't get to take a nap here on Sunday mornings. How's everyone? I see a lot of first-time guests here this morning. It's really, really cool. Uh, Echo Pete's welcome of you. Welcome of you. Welcome to you. Welcome you. I'm telling you. I speak for a living and sometimes it doesn't really seem that way. You've joined us in the fourth week of a series we've called The Power of Same. And the good news for you is if you are here with us for the first time or you've missed any of the previous three weeks, uh, we have a podcast and all of our messages are available on that podcast. You can download any of your podcast apps now and uh, type in Elevate Church and you'll see the messages there. Our actual podcast audience has uh, quadrupled since the start of the year. So we're probably doing something right. And it's great that God's narrow casting things here and leveraging technology that we can also broadcast the message beyond four walls, which is cool, hey? The big idea of this series, The Power of Same, is that the key to change is more of the same. And on the surface, that statement, the key to change is more of the same, may seem paradoxical, but the, 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 the thing we've drilled into is that there are some things that God doesn't want us to do. And so He wants us to set them aside and not keep repeating them. And then there are some things that God does want us to do and He wants us to do them again and again and again, over and over and over, the same things. Week in, week out, sometimes day in, day out, sometimes hour in, hour out. And I made the statement a couple of weeks ago that repeat the right things until the routine produces the rewards. You won't get the health benefits from going to the gym once. You won't get the relational benefits from inviting someone out for a coffee once. We've got to do things, the right things over and over and over. In case you missed last week, I taught a message called, and it was very painful, title. Uh, And I actually saw the title appear in the software update that I was doing here during the week. And the five words were, this may take a while. And depending on the context, those five words can really, really sandpaper your undies. And uh, you can listen to that. But the big idea that Jesus talked about is that there's two types of fruit uh, branches. He, he made this statement, we're gonna read this in a moment, that He's the vine and that God, His Father, is the gardener. And that any fruit, any, any branch attached to the vine, that's us, that doesn't bear fruit, he'll cut off because fruitless is useless. Having said that, he also prunes branches that do bear fruit. But in that case, they're cut back so they can come back. And so I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to get a hold of that. We're gonna continue the same Passage, Renati read from this, read the same passage, some of Jesus' famous last words, the same passage that we've been teaching from for the last four weeks as a church. I invited us to read it every day, every day. And I made sure the team last week understood every day reading John chapter 15, every day for the 29 days of February. You get a bonus day this year. Awesome. Every day. And I said, it wasn't a challenge. It was an invitation. It's not a challenge. Mark wants us to read our Bible every day. Hate him. It's like, 
Don't read your Bible, that's fine, but you're going to miss out because God's got some really cool stuff in there. So open up to John 15. I encourage you, if you're carrying around a smart device, uh, download the app. Uh, you can go to your app store, just type in Bible app and this, uh, this app will appear. Uh, it's, it's getting downloaded. It's up to about 220,000 downloads globally. It's produced by one church. It's quite phenomenal. A little heads up, uh, parents, if you didn't know already, there's also a kids version uh, of the Bible app. It's phenomenal. Some of you adults will probably dig that as well. Um, so Jesus, in these famous last words recorded by John in chapter 15, I'm going to pick up in verse 4, where Jesus is talking to His closest followers. Jesus is about to be led away to be crucified, an innocent man killed on a cross. And He's, and he's giving the locker room speech to His followers because He was about to send, not only was He about to, to, be, to be crucified, He wanted them to, to go out and, 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 and kind of, kind of, very explicitly build the church. And this was the locker room speech that He was giving them. Guys, I want you to go out and build the church, produce fruit, the church, disciples, followers. And he's given them this locker room speech and some of the words that He spoke to them. And they'd be very hand-chosen words. When you know you're about to die, you get your closest people in your life around you, you choose your words very carefully. You don't say, oh yeah, I saw that latest McDonald's commercial. <laughs> Funny. No, you choose your words very carefully. Jesus, you can be assured, chose His words very carefully. He said this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now scroll down to verse 16. Jesus then, John recorded him as saying, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You probably noticed, like I have, that stuff isn't built to last anymore. Snapchat was the groundbreaking messaging app that was built on an ephemeral premise that when you sent somebody else a message after they read it, it would disappear. Ephemeral messaging is now a thing. Companies, manufacturers and designers work with a philosophy called planned obsolescence. And if as a consumer, you're not aware of that, you are getting taken for a ride. Stuff is designed to, to, to be uncool at an astonishingly increasing rate so that you and I will feel the need to upgrade. Because what's the value to a company in selling you something that's gonna last 40 years? You're a one-time customer. That doesn't make much profits. They want you to be a repeat customer. So they take the cool factor and change that they also reduce the quality so that it's going to break. Not like your grandma's washing machine. And I was reminded of this seven years into our marriage. This particular day, our washing machine went to be with Jesus. And I was like, this is not cool. Seven years, you're only seven years old. 
It was a freaking wedding present for God's sake. And so I called the repairman. I didn't know. I called the repairman, like washing machine repairman. I used the phone book. Tells you how long ago this was. All right. Yeah, that thing they still throw on your front doorstep that you put straight in the recycling bin. Um, I phoned the washing repairman, washing dude guy thing. He comes out. He comes, he comes out. He goes into my laundry. And it, it, now I'm expecting him to ask me what's wrong with it, which my reply would be, if I knew, I wouldn't have phoned you, bozo. But he didn't ask what's wrong with it. He asked, how long have you had it? And I thought, well, come on, mate. It's getting a little bit personal here, mate. How long you had your wife? How long? None of your business. None of your business, mate. Let's talk about, he said, how long have you had it? I said, we've had it, we've married, got it as a wedding present. We've had it seven years. Oh, you've done well then. Because they're actually designed to last six years. So you got an extra, you got a bonus year out of it. Good, good for you. I said, so you're not going to fix it? He goes, you don't want me to fix it. I'm like, what do you mean I don't want you to fix it? He says, well, I'm going to charge you this call out fee for being here now. Then you're going to need me to come back with the parts that you need. I'm going to charge you a call-out fee for that as well. Plus, I'm going to charge you for the parts. Plus, I'm going to charge you for the labour. It's going to be about a 1000 bucks. You can go down to the local uh, electrical goods uh, store and buy a brand new machine for 800 bucks. So you can pay me a 1000 get this one fixed, probably be good for another two, three years, or you can get a new one and hopefully get another six, seven years out of it. Was outraged, Pete. Outraged. And I did exactly what he told me to do. I'm smart. Viral phenomena. You want to talk about ephemeral things, viral phenomena. How many remember the ice bucket challenge? Do you, do you, do you, do you know that was only 18 months ago that that ran? Ran for about a three month period. The, the US ALS uh, Association. Uh, credited the Ice Bucket Challenge, July to August, September 2014, as raising 115 million US dollars to, towards the, 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 their charitable efforts. It's pretty good. 12 months later, the US, the ALS Association, had the bright idea that they were going to make this an annual thing. Did so well the first time, went viral, President Bush, all of that sort of stuff. Um, They'll make it an annual thing. So in August 2015, 12 months after the first one, they pushed it out again. We'd moved on. It, it, didn't, it didn't raise $115 million the second time around. It raised $500,000. We'd moved on. That is so 2014. People still dying of ALS. That wasn't the issue. We've done that. But Jesus doesn't want us producing ephemeral fruit. He wants us producing lasting fruit. So I want to teach today a message I've called the secret of sustainable success. Throw that up there, Riley J. Now, I know we don't have any religious people here. We scared them all off years ago. But if you ever meet a religious person and you use the, the, the S word, success, they, in my experience, they will get their panties in a bunch before you even finish the word, success. If you ever experience that, actually don't even say anything, but in your mind, be aware success is a Bible word. 
Success is a God will. You can use your internet machine if you don't believe me. For example, God told Joshua to go and have a good success, which by the way, bonus content, suggests there's also such thing as bad success. Not just good success, bad success. I'm not gonna go down the rabbit hole today, but bad success, very simply put, is doing well at things God hasn't called you to do. Successful, bad success. Success is a Bible word. But Jesus made the point that your success is only as sustainable as its source. That the quality of the fruit is entirely dependent on the vine that produces it. And Jesus didn't just say He's the vine. He, he, he actually said He's the true vine, which suggests bonus content that there's such a thing as fake vines. Well, what are fake vines? I wonder if, if some of you have attached your success to your own strength. And if you have, that's a fake vine because it's limited. But Jesus, the source, the true vine, is an unlimited source. And we're to remain in Him if we wanna produce lasting fruit. This theme, the power of same, resonates through the entire Bible. Let me fast forward from John over to something that Paul wrote. Paul was one of the early church heavyweights, went out starting lots of churches, producing fruit. Uh, One of the places was in Rome. I think he went there because he liked the food. Um, Started a church there and, and he would write to these churches, instruction and encouragement. And in a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, it's recorded now in what we call verse uh, chapter 15, verse four. You can get that on your app in no time. And this is what Paul wrote to the church. And it was true for them then as it's true for us now. God wants the combination of His steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterise us, keeping us alert, or whatever he'll do next. Little bit of bonus content, Georgia, listen to me. See that word steady? Listen to me, I'm speaking to the teenage girls here, Newton girls, listen to me. See that word steady? Listen to me, steady is sexy. Oh yeah, she's shaking her head, yeah. Because you think six-pack is sexy. No, six-pack is not sustainable. Steady is sexy. Long after the six-pack has become a one-pack, you're gonna want to be married to someone who's steady. You listen to me? I think the giving from parents of teenage girls should be doubled because that was worth a lot. By the way, Super Steve, I said that to Renati last week, steady is sexy, and she said, oh, like Steve. <laughs> she even called you steady, Steve. I said, sorry, mate, Super Steve to you, lady. Not to be confused with Scuba Steve. Look at the end of this sentence. What a, what a great thing. Whatever God will do next. Who, who wants to be there, ready, prepared, when God's gonna move next? Who wants to be right in that epicenter of that? See, okay, well, (laughs) good news is, 
Paul's given us a little bit of instruction how we can make sure we're prepared. Because there's nothing worse and nothing more frustrating for God to be ready and us not. Because guess what? That opportunity is going to pass us by. So what do we do to get ready? Paul wrote three things. I'm going to break them down. The first one, calling. And one thing I've observed is too many people let their circumstance lead their calling. And Paul's saying, no, let your calling lead your circumstances. A couple of years ago, um, I don't know if you noticed these guys, they're awesome. Reese, Reese McLaughlin up here playing the electric bass. Don't ever call it a bass guitar, peasants. Playing the electric, and not just any electric bass. This, my friends, is a BC Rich, okay? He's a long hair. He's got black fingernails. The guy's a kook and uh, it's his thing, right? So he's there. He recently married Jess, Jess Simon, Jess McLaughlin, J-Mac. And uh, she, she's, she's often seen singing here. Actually, they're not often seen. They're here every single week. Okay, I'll come back to that. A couple of years ago, they're originally from Queensland. A couple of, couple of, couple of years ago, they were sitting here. And Tanya Watson was preaching here. Recent Jess from Queensland, they just come back from a visiting family back there. They just come back to Perth. They had it in mind that they were going to stay in Perth a little bit longer, save up a few pesos, and then hoof it back to Queensland and be reunited with friends and family. This made sense to them. Well, Tanya was preaching about a completely unrelated subject. And we found out later that God spoke to each one of them, calling them to stay in Perth and calling them to stay in Perth to stay on the front lines here at Elevate Church. Now, just a little side note. Uh, They were too chicken to tell the other one what God had spoken to them because they didn't know that God said the same thing to the other one. So who broke first that later that day? Who, who, yeah, but who, who broke first? So who had the bigger kahunis? <laughs> Reese, yeah! Manpower. And, and, and they timid, so Reese said, um, uh, sweetheart, uh, um, um, God spoke to me today. Oh yeah, God spoke to me too. Well, what did he say to you? No, you go first. Damn. Uh, I think God wants us to stay in Perth uh, and, 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 and be on the front line to elevate. And, 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 and Jess goes, oh, he said that to me too. And Reese goes, so two years later, they are, they have, so we're moving with our music team. You see that we're starting to fill the stage to be scheduled on, not every week. And they've said, don't even think about it. Don't even think about not scheduling us on every week. A year ago, Jess felt God very clearly say, you need to grow in your leadership. So she started pressing into what it means to be growing in her leadership capacity. Uh, a month ago, felt God call her to join our Elevate youth team. So Friday nights, the last three Fridays and for the indefinite future until God, you know, says your time's done, she's in Friday Night Live investing into high school kids. Calling led, not circumstance led. We've got other team members who have a clear calling to a paid full-time ministry role. Now, we're all in full-time ministry. Some of us are disguised as plumbers and, and draftsmen, but we're all in full-time ministry. But some people, God calls them 
We're called to ministry. God calls some people to give the best hours of their day in a paid capacity in a local church setting. And we've got a number of our current team members who have that clear sense of that calling. And they're actually orienting. The the circumstances don't line up. We don't have uh, five free wages ready to go. That's gonna be a product of continual growth as Elevate and that's happening. But these uh, guys and girls are orienting the rest of their lives so that when the time comes that they can start in a paid full-time ministry for whatever God will do next, that they'll be ready and positioned to make that step. They're making their circumstances follow their calling, not the other way around. Don't let your emotions lead your calling. Some Sunday mornings, like, (laughs) I feel very honoured to get to speak to you every week. It's an incredible honour and it's an incredible privilege and I, and I thoroughly enjoy it uh, sometimes. I get to throw lemons at people sometimes. It's very cool. I actually clocked Jordan Everson right in the middle of the forehead sitting in the front row. You'll see he's in the fourth row today. He's learned his lesson. He's in the lemon. That's not the lemon-free zone, mate. I got a pretty strong throwing arm. Um, I, I consider it an incredible privilege to preach God's Word here every week. But I got to tell you, through no fault of yours, some Sunday mornings I wake up, I'm not feeling peoply. I'm feeling decidedly unpeoply. I just want to go and ride my bike. Just me and my iPhone with my do not disturb sign on, otherwise no one has headphones. But I get here because I don't let my feelings lead my calling. I let my calling lead my feelings. And when I get here and you guys get here, I feel peoply because I love you. This is my favourite time of the week. I wish it was Sunday morning every week. So do you because you get the day off work, but it's a different reason. Hmm. Calling. Let me, let me fast forward down to this one character. I read a lot of books. I got a lot of books. I recommend a lot of books, but I don't recommend every book. And, uh, but I've got kind of like a bit of an all-time recommended reading list. And one of them is this book here. It's by a leader, a guy named Bill Hybels, one of the, the Western church one in a, once in a generation leaders for over the last uh, 30 years. Leads a church uh, based out of Chicago called Willow Creek Community Church. He wrote this book on character. Little small book. Some of you take you less than a year to read that. Called, some characters called Who You Are When No One's Looking. Because that's the test of character. Are you the same when the lights are on as you are when the lights are off? Are you the same when the camera's rolling and there's people around as you are when the camera's not rolling and there's not people around? Are you the same? Because there's power in the same. Who you are when no one's looking. And character is built on core convictions. Core convictions are those things that that you and I decide in our life that will never change even if everything else changes. Core convictions. Character is built on core convictions. Even if people change, this core conviction will not change. Even if circumstances change, this core conviction will not change. Even if health changes, this core conviction will not change. 
What are your core convictions? Because your character is built on your core convictions. Have you even thought about it? Maybe, maybe not. Let me give you a couple of mine to kickstart you. Building character, steady, constant character is built on core convictions. Here's a couple of mine. One of my core convictions is honour. You will never hear me put down another church leader. Even if I don't like them, you you actually won't hear me put them down because it's dishonouring. Several years ago, there was a church leader we we know who was um, facing some legal issues overseas. So you only hear about and see, you know, little snippets on Facebook and, and you know, just like nothing really. And I had, a, I had a church leader come to me and they said, oh, have you heard about such and such? And have you heard that? And have you heard they're, they're going to be in court? And, and, and did you read that? And I, and I said to them, why are you telling me this? Do you know them personally? No. Okay. Well, I do know them personally, but it's none of my business. I'm not the court. I'm not them. And what's your motive for telling me? Oh, just, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty saucy. Okay. So next time you screw up, because you will, because we all do, do you want other people talking saucy stuff about your screw up? Or would you prefer that they honour you and shut their mouth? I talk like that to people I love. I'm good like that. I'm a good friend. So they shut up. And a week later, they contacted me and apologised and said, you're right, that was incredibly dishonest. Good. As far as I'm aware, they learned their lesson. You won't hear me putting down people who are putting me down. I know what you're thinking. Why would anyone ever put you down? I agree, okay? So does my mom. But, but, but it happens, okay? And it doesn't happen to my face because that's not how those people operate. People that talk about you very rarely talk with you. Um, so occasionally I hear someone say to me, oh, such and such was saying this about you. What do you think of that? And I tell them, I don't think anything of that. I'm not going to waste a second of my brain space thinking about that. I'm, that, that might be who they are, but who they are is not going to influence what I do. My core conviction about honour is going to influence what I do. And even if other people don't share my core conviction, screw them, it's not going to change what I do. What are your core convictions? Another of, of, of mine, and really it's Louis and my together core conviction, that's wifey, um, is generosity. No doubt you've heard this, maybe said it. When I win the lottery, when I win the lottery, uh, here's what I'm going to do with all that money. And it always, almost always starts with a list of, of people they're going to give money to. All right? And then it maybe trails off to, and I might upgrade my car and pay off my mortgage or whatever. 
In other words, when I win this extra money, money I don't currently have access to, I'm gonna be generous first. And here's what I can tell you. I can tell you whether that person will follow through with that or not based on what they currently do with the money they have now. Because generosity isn't a circumstantial thing. Generosity is a core conviction. And if you're stingy with a little, you're gonna be stingy with more because it's a core conviction. But if you're generous with little, it's quite likely you're gonna be generous with more because more money simply amplifies your core conviction. It doesn't change it, it amplifies it. And Louis and I, we were generous when we didn't have much. Household income in the early part of our marriage, um, and with this, we weren't married at the Flintstones era. It, it was, you know, in 18 years ago, our household income was about $20,000, our gross household income. And we were generous with $20,000. And over the, the years, our gross household income, <laughs> thank God, has gone up from $20,000. But the spirit of generosity has remained constant because it's a core conviction. And... Uh, we, we both teach here at Elevate and Louie and I live by the idea that giving God through the local church, first 10% is a goal and a minimum. And the reason we say it's a goal is because some people start at zero and we say, that's fine. Take a next step. Start giving 1%. Make 10% the goal. Start giving 2%. If you're at 5%, Start giving 6%. Make it a goal. But when you get that goal, don't stop because there's more things we can do. And so Louis and I, we've, we've, we decided once 18 years ago, and we haven't changed our core conviction since then, that we will give our first 10%. And actually, our first 10% will be a minimum. We'll never go below that. Um, and, and here's a little bit of math. It's just simple math. Our, our, <laughs> I've never, I've, never actually, I've never actually taught this, by the way, ever. So you get to hear it first. This is how we crunch the numbers. It's just simple math. I've got a calculator on my computer. It's really clever. It's like, it's a calculator. It, it calculates. So we just punch numbers in. Now, this isn't our gross household income. These are just hypothetical figures. Happy if it is. We just punch in our gross household income. And if you get paid weekly which we kind of do, we get paid fortnightly each, but alternate fortnights, you don't need to know that. If you get paid weekly and your gross household income is $200,000, then you divide it by 52, that's your weekly gross income. I know, it's pretty impressive so far. How am I doing, Paul? Paul's a numbers guy, he gets it. And then you multiply that, that's a multiply sign, by 0.1, that's 10%, equals... Giving to God, your first 10% equals, if your gross household income is $200,000, Can I suggest, just round it up a little, 385. Now, some of you are thinking, gross household income. I don't get to take home my gross household income because the Australian government dips their filthy little hands into my pay packet before I even get to pull into the driveway. So I'm gonna give my first 
based on my net household income, my take-home pay. Look, I ain't going to get in an arm wrestle with you. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. I'm telling you what we do. And, and, and let me tell you why we choose our gross household income. It's from a principle that is repeated throughout the Bible to bring the first 10% of your increase. Increase. Change the word increase. That was when they cut wheat and brought home livestock. <laughs> we bring home money. And the reason we choose the gross figure is simply this. When <laughs> telling people how much you earn is entirely dependent on who's asking the question. Let me explain. If the tax office, when you do your annual return, is asking the question, you want to tell them that your household income is as low as you can legally tell them it is. After all your deductions and giving, and I only earned, you know, whatever this might be, $120,000, right? But when you're applying for a home loan, how much did you tell your bank that you earn? This figure, right? The greater figure. Because you're trying to impress the bank and you're trying to bluff the tax department legally. So why would we tell God that we earn that much and tell our bank manager that we earn that much? Why would we tell God the lesser amount? Why would we bring him the inferior of the two? That's how Louie and I operate. It's a core conviction. Six years ago, I lost my job. Our household income went back down to $24,000 for the year. I didn't have a job. Louis got a part-time job. Tests your core conviction when you don't have any money left over and we did not dip below 10%. It's a core conviction. And we do it for a bunch of reasons and I could give you 10 reasons, and, but I'll just give you a couple. We, we, we do not go below our first 10% because it reminds us that God is the source of our provision. He's the vine, not our employer, our share portfolio. And the other thing is this, and, and, I, and I phrase that, I call it, we call it first 10% giving. It's often called tithing, which just means 10th. Uh, flip to the next one. I called it tithing in this because it's a bit of a tongue twister. If I said first 10% giving, tithing demonstrates trust, Right? And then if you've never taken that step to give your first 10%, then actually tithing triggers trust. I had a conversation with some people, some friends of mine a few weeks ago, and I knew that they were really tight financially, and I knew actually that they weren't giving to God. And I said to them, how about you, how about you take a little baby step and start giving 1%? And they said, oh, look, look, I don't know. The reason we haven't been doing it is because some weeks it's, it's fuel or groceries. And how could we give 1%? I said, give it a, give it a go. Just 1%. Just give it a go. Just, just give it a go and, 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 and see what God does. Just, just see what God does. Because God, 
His motive for, our, for us giving isn't to get something from us. He doesn't need anything from us. He's not broke. He wants to actually get something to us. He wants to make sure we understand that he's the source. And anyway, I can't tell you too much about this family that, uh, that I had this conversation with, except to say that they took a baby step of probably uh, 1%. And uh, miracles started popping out of their undies, financial miracles. Not saying that that's going to happen to you. It might. did for them. And it triggered trust in them by taking a step of faith. Next week, we're going to launch a series. We originally had a series plan called Change, but uh, Jordan, there's been a change. We're not going to talk about change. We're just going to change. Yeah. We're going to teach a four-week series called The Church Just Wants Your Money. Uh, when you walk in, our host team will ask you to hand over your wallet. They'll ask you to do a, hand, a walking handstand through our foyer so any spare change in your pockets falls out. They'll be, you won't know this, they'll have uh, uh, contact lenses in that have x-ray vision to make sure you're not hiding anything after you've supposedly handed over everything. Uh, we're going to ask you to bring in all your bank statements and we're going to run those numbers, all right? We're going to run those numbers. And so that's the next four weeks, so you don't want to miss that. Back to Paul. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. The, the, the third thing he talked about was counsel. I'm going to just change it to another C word called connections. I said this right back at the beginning of this series, that we need to follow Jesus for ourselves. It's not, it's, you, you can't ride on your parents' faith. You can't ride on your spouse's faith. We need to follow Jesus for ourselves, but we cannot follow Jesus effectively by ourselves. Your success, whilst it's rooted in the vine, also needs a support system. The people you have in your life are a key determinant to your sustainable success or not. I like to have a handful of chosen, hand-picked people in my life that I call my personal advisory board. And they're people that I will ask them honest questions because I trust them. And I also trust them to give me honest answers. And, that, and I also trust them to give me answers that I may not always want to hear. A few months ago, I took uh, Scotty Downey, uh, for a Sunday afternoon bike ride. Now, Scotty Downey was drumming here this morning. Scotty D, I call him Scotty D for dependable, because he is, incredible guy. And uh, took him for a Sunday afternoon bike ride. And, um, and we're, we're riding side by side, sunny afternoon, riding side by side up from, uh, along, the, along the bike path along the Quinana Freeway from the Narrows to Canning Bridge, the Raffles, if you get that. So the sun was at our back, beautiful sea breeze on the side, beautiful, riding side by side. Riding along on my push bike, honey. We're singing that, holding hands. It was beautiful. And uh, whoosh, uh, on a giant, of course, supplied by Foothill Cycles, exclusive bike supplier to Elevate Church. And uh, anyway, so we ride along. And, and out of my peripheral vision, this guy came, came hooking up alongside Scotty. Now, that was, that was sort of normal. We weren't going fast. We were just sort of like a, just an easy ride. 
but but comes up and uh, he's on a mountain bike. We're on road bikes. So if you've ever ridden a mountain bike on a road, it's 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 tough. It's it's a lot tougher. It's like quicksand kind of thing. This guy comes up, just dressed in civvies, like with the, with the lycra guys, right? He's just just dressed in civvies, like t-shirt, baggy shorts, uh, uh, running shoes, mountain bike, like. Screams, not a cyclist, right? That's what it screams. Comes up alongside Scotty, and I think he's going to go past. And look, that happens. Some people just do like an ego thing, like, <laughs> you know, and they, and they burn you off and you're just like, whatever. Uh, but this guy come alongside Scotty and then he actually started, he, he backed it off and he just kept riding alongside Scotty. And I'm like, so now we're riding three abreast, singing the song, holding hands, all three of us. It's very random. And, uh, and, and this guy says something, I can't hear it. He says something, Scotty says something back, he says something, Scotty says something back, he says something, Scotty says something back, and then, and then he kind of dropped back, like never to be seen again. And I'm like, Scotty, what was that all about? Oh, he, he wanted to tell me that my cycling shorts were see-through. And with the sun, with the sun at Scotty's back, apparently it, it did not meet public decency standards. We all need people like that in our life, right? Now you say, "Well, why didn't you tell him?" Let me tell you. I never ride behind people. Here's a little picture of the, of the pants that Scotty was wearing there. That's not him. I, I made him donate them to this girl. I now make him wear these uh, shorts and the, the lycra's on the inside. And this is a triple ply King G approved fabric on the outside, available from Foothill Cycles and... Uh, We need truth tellers. Let me just issue that bit of advice with a caveat. Make sure you've built up a platform of trust with the person before you go telling them that they're sure to see through. <laughs> Don't just come running up to them because you you become that guy. You know you know that guy. Not only ever tells you the stuff that's wrong. Don't be that guy. And also. An interesting thing about the relationship of the vine and the branches is that even though the, the vine is the source and even though we're the branches, chuck the next one up, Riley, you'll notice in viticulture that there's a third thing at play here and it's the trellises. And I like to think that the trellises are the relationships that we have around us. Storms very rarely blow the vine out of the ground, but they can do a lot of damage to the branches. And without the trellis in the stormy seasons, the branches can still be affected even though the vine stays planted. Jesus is the source and He uses the trellis. Jesus is the vine and He uses the trellis. It's not 
the trellis and then I don't need Jesus. And it's not Jesus and I don't need the trellis. It's Jesus is the vine where the branches and Jesus uses the trellis, which is the relationships around us to keep things together in the stormy seasons of life. That's it. The power of shame. Anyone learn anything in the last four weeks? Good. Listen to the podcast. Keep reading John chapter 15. I'm going to ask one more question of us this morning, then hand it over to Pete with an Afro microphone. Zodwa, Afro microphone. You love it? Yeah, she says, yeah, go the fro. Um, let me ask you a question. Are you attached to the vine? It's a real simple question, but don't confuse the simplicity of the question with the importance of the question. Are you attached to the vine? Have you actually said, Jesus, I wanna be connected to you. I wanna have a relationship with you. If you haven't, we're gonna give you that opportunity right here, right now to say, I wanna start a relationship with Jesus. I recognise that I need my life to be connected to Him. So for those of you that have never made that decision, said, yes, I wanna be connected to Jesus. I wanna have a relationship with Him. Just put your hand up. Say, that's me today. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I need to make that decision today. When I see your hand, you can put it down. We're gonna pray. So don't let me miss you and don't you miss this opportunity. You know, I said, we need to follow Jesus for ourselves. This is your opportunity. You may have grown up in a church. You may never been in a church in your life. Either of those things aren't dependent on being connected to the vine. What's first and foremost is is you saying, yeah, I wanna be connected to Jesus. Just put your hand up if you haven't already and you need to make that decision today. Next week we'll be kicking off.